Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. This is Weldon Johnson, co-founder of Let'sRun.com. We've got a very special edition of Let'sRun.com's Track Talk. I'm joined by the Olympic silver medalist in the steeplechase, Evan Jager. Uh, Evan, where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm in St. Moritz, but I am leaving for Monaco tomorrow morning. Yes, and so uh, Evan's got the hot steeple at the Monaco Diamond League on Friday, where he could become the first uh, American <laughs> under the eight-minute barrier. And I'm also joined by Let'sRun.com's Jonathan Galt. We're going to be talking about Evan's chances in Monaco, Evan's chances in uh, London at the Worlds, and also about the fancy Bears hack. John, thanks for joining us as well. Yep, glad to be here and uh, excited to talk to you and Evan. So I was kind of thinking, you know, Evan, where, where we should start. Um, everyone's very excited about Monaco and you know, your chances at Worlds, but, you know, keep coming back to this Fancy Bears thing because running for a lot of us, we're fans of the sport, we all do it ourselves. Um, The top guys like yourself, you inspire us. Um, But at the same time, it's the whole thing's a charade and, uh, you know, essentially you guys are on drugs. It it, it falls apart. Like, why are we following the sport? Um, So for those those of you guys – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was I was just gonna say yeah, it would be um a very hard sport to follow if you didn't believe that any of these things that these athletes are doing are possible without taking drugs. Yeah. So let's start with that. Um I assume most of the listeners sort of know kind of you know, what the basics are, but I guess it was around I think July fourth or fifth. Um Fancy Bears, the Russian hacking group, released uh, some IWF internal files, and essentially it was a list of athletes, and, you know, your name was on there, and right next to it, it said likely doping. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess first just sort of tell us, you know, how you found out about it, what your reaction was, um, you know, just sort of the, the basic, yeah. of, you know, wh- wh- you know what, what's, it, what's that like to be in that situation? Yeah, so uh, I woke up um, to a text from my agent saying, um, well, I forget exactly what it said. Organizer has ended this Uber conference. Sorry, that was the other conference. Did did uh did we just get hacked? We've been hacked. <laughs> Fancy Bears is listening in. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Hello. Uh, uh, good, good. Yeah, that was 
good. You're trying to avoid the questions. Very good. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. We're um, not that easy. Sorry. Like, yeah. As I as I was saying, um, I I woke up to a text from my agent, and uh, I don't remember exactly what it, it said, but um, it was something along the lines of, "Hey, uh, there's been like a fancy bears hack uh, with a list of." Um, a list of athletes listed as like potentially doping uh, and your name was on it. Uh, give me a call. Like as, as soon as you get this and we can talk it over or something like that. And naturally I, I woke up and like the first thing that I did was uh, I went to let's run just to figure out what exactly was going on. Cause I, I knew that you guys <laughs> would have all the information. Um, so I, I went on let's run and, uh, looked at the article, looked at the the two documents that were out there, and my, I mean, my first response was just shock. Uh, I was really confused. I had no clue um, how I could have had a, a blood test that could have been deemed um, suspicious and labeled as likely doping, and um, I was shocked. I never, never thought I would have seen my, my name on a list, um, associated with potential dopers. And, um, yeah, aside from shock, my, my first feelings towards everything were just like sadness just cause, um, I didn't really know what was going on and I didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, I, I, yeah, just a lot of emotions and thoughts going through my head, and I just had uh, really no clue how this could have happened to me. Um, okay. so I, I was going to jump in here. Well, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, you look at the – I guess, how would you have felt, uh, Evan, if you saw a leak like this and your name wasn't on the list? Because I know some people – you know, on our message boards, they see the people on the list, and they're like, well, I have a few questions about a few of them, but then there are other people, you know, on the list who they'd say, well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see that name on the list. I'm wondering if your name wasn't on that list, how would you have felt? About yeah. It? Uh, honestly, I, I don't even, I, I only really remember um, Asbel's name being on the list, other than my own. I, I don't remember who else was on the list. I was so consumed with myself being there that I, I didn't really care to think about who else was there. Um, but if, if I had just seen the list with a bunch of random athletes, honestly, my first thought would have been, Oh yeah. Like everyone on there is doping. Um, unless it was like an athlete, probably most likely an American athlete that I knew, um, that I just assumed there's no way that they're doping. Um, it's it's hard to have those feelings towards international athletes that you you don't know at all and um, are are really good athletes or they're not good athletes and just a, like totally obscure names. But uh, yeah, I think honestly my my initial response would have been oh yeah like so and so on that list yeah they're probably doping um, and I know it's it's uh, like, I guess wrong of me to say that people shouldn't feel that way about me now that like, 
because because that's how I feel. But um, I think I honestly think that if there was an athlete on there that I knew or um, really thought was doing things the right way, I I don't think it would have changed my perception my perception on them. Interesting. Um, so I guess, yeah, let's sort of, maybe before we get on to what you found out since then, let's sort of start with the basics. You know, you issued your statement saying, I have never, will never break or try to bend an anti-doping rule. But I think, you know, a lot of people still, mm-hmm. they want to hear you say that. Like, you've never doped in your life, right? Like, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never so- doped in my life. I've, I've never taken anything that I think other people would deem as, like, crossing the line I um, I mean I take very few supplements uh, throughout the course of the year and um, and I don't, I don't think those things are even close to being illegal or um, performance enhancing they're I mean mo- most of everything that I take is is mm-hmm. iron and vitamin C and vitamin D and those things are just those are supplements that you kind of just need to stay healthy as a, as a distance runner and make sure you're not, um, wearing yourself into the ground. And, um, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell, it's hard to tell people you're not doping when like everyone has this, this view of, um, of professional athletes and where the sport is right now. It's, uh, I, I can understand right. how it's kind of hard to believe people, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, even- I'm not doping. I'm not taking anything that's close to doping. Because I think, yeah, the assumption now others have with all the sort of, I don't know, some of these other hacks that have come out related to the Nike Oregon Project group, you know, it's been pretty clearly established that um, with athletes, aren't breaking the rules. They're pushing right up against some rules, taking supplements and infusions, that sort of stuff. So I think others are like, Hey, well, everyone's doing that at least. So I guess maybe like you said, you're not pushing up against those rules. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, they saw like Chris, I guess they saw Dr. Brown. So people now are kind of under the assumption, like, have you ever seen Dr. Brown? People are under the assumption that, uh, I don't know, that maybe all top athletes, you know, like Adam Goucher recommended people to go see Dr. Brown. So it's like, oh, all these guys yeah. are looking for an edge. You, if you, it's not just, it's not just about running. You got to take all these supplements and really push it. Yeah. So maybe, what can you talk about that? And sort of, or maybe like, what's the, what's the sketchiest thing you say you've done in terms of supplements or anti-doping or? I mean, it sounds like um, your statement and what you're saying, you're trying to stay pretty far away from that line, but. I don't know, try to reassure people who are, who are, you made it sound like you can see how people are skeptical. So sort of, how would you try to Um, make people believe it's mostly about running and training? Yeah. Going, going back to the, the Chris Zielinski thing, I, I don't know. I think Chris Zielinski and uh, I can't even, I can't even say for sure. I know of another athlete within our group that has uh, seen Dr. Brown. I, I think Selinsky might have been the only one. And 
I don't even really believe that that was like a huge game changer in um, in Chris's athletic achievements. Um, I mean, Chris was a workhorse uh, from the time he like, mm-hmm. stepped on a cross country field. Uh, I mean, I think he was putting in a hundred mile weeks from the time he was in high school, all throughout college, all throughout his professional career. And he just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And he's, um, I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah. He's by far the, the hardest working athlete I've ever trained with. So, um, I, I mean, I saw everything that, that Chris did on a daily basis. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't see Chris's achievements as, uh, as sketchy or dirty or suspect or anything. Um, and obviously I'm biased cause I was his teammate and spent a lot of time with him, but, um, that's just how I feel. Uh, but yeah, going back to me, I've, yeah, never seen Dr. Brown. Um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of all the, all the supplements that I've probably ever taken. Mm-hmm. And I would, I mean, I would have to say that I could probably count on two hands, the, the amount of supplements that, that I've taken outside of like Tylenol and Benadryl and NyQuil and stuff that, um, that I would ever list on a, a USADA sheet or a WADA sheet. Um, the sketchiest thing I think I've, I've ever done and I felt really guilty about was, um, in, uh, in 2012, uh, I started getting, um, some like, like a tight chest, uh, during the spring of 2012. And, uh, I knew of a couple of, like a couple of my teammates had, uh, had really bad allergies, um, either in Eugene or in Portland when the springtime comes and the grass pond kicks up and, uh, they had gotten, um, they had gone to see someone in Portland and had gotten prescribed, uh, an inhaler and, uh, I was getting a lot of the same symptoms that they said that they had. And, um, obviously the, the trials were coming up and I was, I was really like worried about going down to Eugene and the pollen being like a huge effect on me. So I went to the, the same doctor, um, that some of the other guys had seen in, in Portland. And, um, I was within the range of, um, being needed to be need needing to be prescribed an inhaler. And, um, I was prescribed an inhaler and I, I think I took it like five times and I was like, this, this is stupid. Like, I, I've trained my whole life without needing an inhaler. Like, I I don't think this is going to be a problem. And I I stopped taking it and uh, got down to Eugene, and I was, I felt fine, and uh, I didn't take it again, and um, and and then threw it away and never used it again. So I, I took it maybe five times or something that spring, and um, that was that was probably the sketchiest thing that I've ever done. And, uh, and I, I 
even though like I, I took the test and I was within range of like needing an inhaler, uh, I still felt like it was wrong and um, like, or it was excessive and I, I probably didn't need it. And um, when I, I went down to Eugene and tested it out and um, ran around and felt fine breathing, I was like, yeah, I'm not using this thing again. And I just threw it out. Evan, when you released your, your statement um, talking about, you know, your defense and the way it came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, you said you were going to try and find out what might have triggered the, the likely doping comment, uh, reach out to yeah. the authorities. Have you heard anything back from WADA, the IAF, or anyone like that who has explained yeah. why your name was there? <clears throat> yeah. I, so initially I, I wanted to wait until – so uh, Tom, my, my agent Tom had been in contact with uh, an IAAF official that understood the, the situation and the case, and um, he talked to him. Uh, Tom talked to him and um, got a little more information about what was all going on and um, and why my name might have popped up on there. And I wanted to, like, wait until I got, like, a written response from the IAAF official about it, but it's <laughs> taking so long, so I might as well just talk about it. Um, so the way I, I'm hearing the second hand through my agent, I... I'm waiting to be in contact with the official, but he hasn't gotten back to me yet. So um, some of the, I don't know exactly, exactly what's happened, but um, the way it was explained to me was that uh, the test somehow was from June and not either February and or September. And it was June of 2016. And, I think I w I'm pretty sure I was, uh, yeah, I was in Park City, Utah at that time. So uh, obviously up at altitude and if you know anything about altitude training, you know that uh, over the course of four-ish weeks, you get, uh, your blood values are undergoing a lot of changes to kind of compensate for um, the lack of oxygen that you're getting and you start creating more red blood cells. And um, there was something uh, something within my blood on that day of the test, uh, which I think was in the middle of the camp, that kind of triggered a response um, on the test. And that, res that, uh, that initial test um, is kind of done uh, – via computer the way that I understand it and um, the computer reads the results and if the blood values are I think outside of some designated range it automatically spits out like a red flag and says uh, these blood values are not normal it's likely uh, suspicious and this person is likely doping depending on um, whatever the blood values are. And then once that test gets, once those results get flagged, it is then sent to a scientist to look over, to read, to make sure um, something wasn't wrong with the test or 
just to kind of look over the results and compare the the flagging to the actual levels of blood and then um, and then if it's still deemed abnormal, then it's sent to another scientist and they look at more information to compare. And then there might even be like a third step where it's sent to a third scientist. So basically with my case, um, it was run through the initial test and the computer flagged it. And that, um, that little line that you saw on the document with my name on it, where it said uh, blood values, abnormal or suspicious levels, likely doping is what is spit out by the computer. And after it was sent to that first scientist, he looked it over, I think maybe looked at my, my past blood results and he waved it off saying, yeah, this is, this is normal for this athlete at this amount of weeks at altitude. Um, there's, there's nothing to see here. So like after that first stage, it was sent to someone and, and he cleared it, which is why apparently I never heard anything about it. The IAAF or WADA never contacted me and um, they kind of checked me off the list saying that I was clear. Okay. So that's, that's that's how I that's how it was explained to me, and um, I'm trying to get a written statement mm -hmm. from someone within the IAAF so that I can mm -hmm. kind of publish that. And uh, obviously, he will have a a like a a better way of conveying mm -hmm. that information than than I do. So right, I'm still waiting on that. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Thank we thank you, Evan, for the the explanation because I know this is something that not only us but you know the fans listening wanted to hear and you know obviously it's pro it's kind of an uncomfortable situation for you to address so we, we do really appreciate yeah. that um yeah i got two more anti-doping questions real quickly for one question in the comments okay. some people yeah, are always let's like, try and make... would he would he take a lie detector test evan would you take a lie detector test i don't know why that's the holy yeah, grail but some guys in let's run say that's the holy grail because so i guess they use them in bass yeah, fishing sure. tournaments now there's like billion dollar bass fishing tournaments in you, but a guy got busted because he flunked the lie detector. Um, For he, what? I guess How people did he they flunk put it? they put weight. They they either uh, catch the fish beforehand and bring them on the boats, where they like put uh, weights in, oh. in the fish. And I guess you can win a million okay. bucks if you have the biggest three fish. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so so all right, you take a lie detector and yeah. John was saying like we got an email. A moderator of Let's Run is this guy, George Malley. He's actually a former American record holder in the steeplechase. He actually admitted to using oh. steroids one, t one time briefly in the 80s. Like, just self-confessed. He, like, said, like, I did this. It was wrong. Um, but clearly he's a fan of yours because, like, we got an email from him right afterwards. And he's, you know, this just shows how, like, fans want to believe that, you know, this can be done clean. He said, now I can understand how the NLP deniers feel. I don't want to be doing it I don't want to hear about it. I'm just going to sit here and I shut my hands over my ears. No. <laughs> and yeah. Um, but it just shows sort of like how invested fans are in athletes. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, for sure. It, what you're saying makes sense in the story. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people obviously, well, I don't know if everybody wants to believe it, but like, 
we wouldn't follow the sport if we thought everybody was dirty. So, um, yeah, I hope it's the case. Um, and you know, like, because also you're in a very unique situation. Because I would argue you're America's best chance for gold and distances at Worlds this year. And sort of, you know, it's a very unique situation to be in that case. So, yeah, let's turn mm-hmm. now to sort of mm-hmm. the current and training and. You know, I guess the first question maybe to ask is, how, has it been difficult to stay focused on the goal at hand, or has this distracted you at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, it distracted me for a little bit. Um, the first, uh, I'd say, two or three days after it came out, I was I was pretty sad and, like, just a little depressed. And uh, mm-hmm. at this time, um, like, we're staying up in St. Moritz and in apartments, and it was just me and – um and all and the uh four girls um emily colleen courtney and shelby and they had their own apartment and i have my own apartment so for a lot of those first two days i was just sitting around the apartment by myself just being really sad and it it sucked and um i kind of i mean being in st moritz this is where like a lot of people come to train at altitude at this time of the year and uh, everywhere, like obviously, there's tons and tons of runners, elite runners, and I'm just running around St. Moritz by myself. And uh, even if they weren't doing this, I just felt like everyone was looking at me like they thought I was dirty at that point in time, and it was a really shitty feeling. Um, I, yeah, I was pretty sad for a couple of days, and then um, after probably three days, it the kind of like I didn't really have any new information and I I stopped going to let's run to see what people thought about me and um and and that actually helped uh the first couple days I was like in this in this like mind frame where like I wanted everyone to like come out and say no like there's no way I don't think he's doping like I I think he's clean and I wanted everyone to still feel that way and so I went on on the message boards and I was I was looking for that stuff and obviously 50% of it is people like saying oh I know he's been doping the whole time and the other 50% are no no way no way he's doping so I kind of had to like shut off let's run for a little while and um not let it consume me and not think about it every day. And then I just kind of got over it. And I had a lot of like really positive support from um, obviously teammates, but uh, other U S runners that like I'm like closer with. And um, even uh, a few of the international athletes that are up here, the the Robertson uh, twins from New Zealand are up here and, uh, they came up to me in the grocery store and they're like, they were both like, Hey, we, we totally trust you. There's, there's no way you should have been on that list. And, um, so like stuff like that was, was really reassuring and it helped lift me up and, um, that helped me get past and kind of since, uh, those first, probably that first like five, five or seven days, um, I don't really think about it that much anymore. Um, I'm, I've kind of moved past it and, uh, I'm going to do my best to try and, um, 
make people believe that I'm not dirty, but uh, I feel like I've kind of learned that um, no matter how much I put out there, there's there's still going to be people that either because of this or before this think that I'm dirty and um, it's it's hard to please everyone. So it's kind of where I'm at right now, but I, I'm in a good place and I'm uh, I've I've moved past it and I'm just ready to move forward. Well, this is it's unfortunate that uh, the fancy bears leak has caused Let's Run to lose a loyal visitor like you, but uh, move forward. <laughs> I, I, I'm back on now. Okay, good to hear. Okay, Monica, good. We got you got a screen name. We got Monaco coming up on Friday. Um, you're running the yeah. race along with the whole Team USA. Uh, Consensus Kipruto right now is entered, but. Not sure if he's 100%. Sufyan Albacali yeah. is running well, is not entered. What is your mindset mm -hmm. going to the race? How do you feel about your fitness? What do, What are your goals? What are you looking to do on Friday? Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm looking to get up in the front and go for the win. Um, I think my my fitness is is really good right now. Obviously, um, ran 816 at USA's uh, with a a fast last lap, probably my fastest last lap ever, and um, was able to beat Stanley Cabeni, uh, Andy Bear, and Hillary Bohr, who have all run. I, I think they're all in like 810 to 815 shape. Um, so I I know that I'm in at least that good of shape uh, at USA's, and uh, come back up to altitude, St. Moritz, and get a little bit more training in and I, I feel like I've um, just kind of since the early May just been making steady improvements on my fitness like each week basically so I, I'm feeling really good and um, I think my game plan is probably just to go out near the front um, probably in the first hopefully two or three guys behind the rabbit and um, not really stress too much about uh, running fast time. Um, just kind of try my best to stay relaxed uh, until the final couple laps and uh, just go for the win. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, Kip Rudo? You know, he, he had to drop out of Rabat over the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. But he's obviously the defending Olympic champion. I think he was everyone's. Yeah favorite coming into the year. I mean, what were your thoughts about the injury? Have you heard anything about it? Do you feel like it that opens a window for you to, to maybe take gold in London? Uh, I'm expecting him to get healthy enough to be able to, to run London and, and be in good shape. Um, it's just kind of, I think that's the, for me, the smartest way to go about mm -hmm. um, mentally preparing for London is just assuming mm -hmm. that he's going to be there and, and be really fit. Um, I think I've heard that he has a maybe a foot injury. Uh, not injury, but he maybe tweaked his foot or something. Um, and it, watching the race, it looked like it might have happened in the first water jump. He had kind of like an awkward first water jump and uh, – pretty much right after that kind of just drifted back in the pack and uh, eventually dropped out. Um, obviously it wasn't a terrible enough injury for him to step off the track right away. So I assume that 
um, even if he doesn't run Monaco, he will kind of, I, I assume it's like a, a couple days off maybe, and then jump back into training and he'll be fine. Um, I, I can't imagine that he had done something so terrible that he's going to be out for the year. So um, I'm just going into the, the next couple of weeks, assuming that he's, going to recover pretty quick and um, obviously still be in really good shape um, coming into London. Mm -hmm. And we've seen another guy, um, Sufian Makali, he was fourth in Rio last year. He sort of Mm -hmm. emerged as one of the top guys this year. He just ran a a PR of 805 and Rabat. He wasn't, I'm going to be honest here, he wasn't really on my radar coming into this year. I sort of figured it would be you and the Kenyans sort of going for gold, but now I think he sort of emerged as a legitimate contender. Did, did you think he was going to be able to make this sort of progress this year? What are your thoughts on his development? Yeah, I, I had been keeping my eye on him. Obviously, I, I knew that he was in the final last year, and I knew that he was a young kid. So when you're younger, you're able to make pretty, pretty sizable improvements just by having a, another year of training under your belt and getting a little bit older. Um, I knew that he was upgraded to fourth after Camboy's disqualification and uh and then I, I believe he raced in Brussels again after the Olympics and um and ran pretty fast there. I think he was maybe fourth behind Conceslis Me and McKissy in Brussels. Um and I think he closed pretty well. So I knew he had a good race there and then uh I mean as soon as the track season indoor track season started this year. He was on fire right away. I think he ran like, I want to say 1308, uh, uh, a 5k indoors, maybe in Birmingham, um, this indoor season. So, I mean, from whenever that was February or March, I had him at the back in the back of my head. I I knew that he was going to be fit and ready to go come outdoor season. So I haven't really been surprised that he's, he's run so well, um, already this year, uh, in the steeple. And, um, I mean, 805, 804 is really good. 805 winning the race is, is really good. So he's, he's obviously really fit and, um, yeah, he's definitely going to be a a tough competitor come, come London. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you watch watch the other diamond league races? Sorry. Did you watch the bot meet? Are you, are you sitting there in training yeah. camp watching the races? And oh, so yeah, I guess the course. real question is, what do you think of the celebration with 200 meters to go? I mean, I I loved it. Um, yes, good I mean, This is this is the first. Yeah, this is the first uh, first year of Rabat having a Diamond League meeting, and um, I mean this this year and last year is his coming out party and his his home meet and i mean you gotta do that you're you're i mean taking down like a stellar field um at your home meet and you're kind of on fire this year um i i thought it was great um this was great for the fans and obviously they got a huge kick out of it they started going nuts as as soon as he started celebrating so uh my my thing was just (laughs) just don't fall um, like, especially in the steeple, you just make sure you're staying focused over those barriers. But if, 
if you feel good enough to celebrate, go for it. Oh, okay. So does that mean if you win the pre-classic next year or you're going <laughs> to win, please stop showboating? Uh, if I'm ahead by like 20 meters or whatever he was ahead by, I might a little bit. Um, I probably wouldn't do it until after the after the water jump for sure. And I know if I did it before the last barrier, Jerry would probably rip my head off. So it might have to wait until after the last barrier. But um, yeah, if I'm, if I'm in a situation like that and I feel good enough to basically know that I've got it in the bag, that it would be really fun to do. Yeah. Nice. Well, one of the things that we've got a lot of questions about uh, on the message boards and some people in the chat they want to know your, what your workouts are like. I know that there's some secretiveness around, <laughs> you know, Jerry's group and what you guys do. Yeah. But I'm wondering, could you share with us a recent workout you've done or something, you know, a, a session like that that you could give us some details on? Uh, I mean, honestly, there's no secrets. Uh, people get really fit lots of different ways. I don't think there's one secret way to get really good um jerry just has his way and that's that's what we do and it it works for a lot of us um i jerry might ah man what, what kind of workout are you looking for i'm guessing a, a track session i mean maybe maybe one with barriers but it doesn't need to be because i know that you don't run I, workouts with barriers all the time so just yeah anything would be good uh yeah, I, I guess I'll I'll go with a specific session since that's like the most applicable to this conversation. Um I mean it's we we don't really have any set workouts. Jerry kinda for the steeple specifically we usually go for a certain certain amount of total meters and it's usually uh usually around anywhere between like four and 5k usually uh, closer to 5k i would say and most of it is hurdling um early in the season it'll he'll maybe throw in a flat lap or two here and there but um an example of of one that we did recently was uh 1200 800 400 times two with uh, three minutes rest in between everything. Nice. So nothing, nothing spectacular, nothing like that mind blowing. Um, but it's all over barriers. And, um, so it, it ends up being a lot of running and jumping. So we typically for the specific sessions, um, well, I guess steeple and 5k, um, we either go like right at race distance or generally we try to go a little bit further than race distance. Um, I'm, I'm actually almost always going at least 4K of work over barriers and um, 5K guys usually probably at least 5K of work. And uh, everything's generally at desired race pace for whatever part of the season that you're in. Gotcha. So like interesting that twelve how a four work yeah that twelve a four workout was at sixty seven for me and what's what's eight minute pace 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was at, yeah, it was at 64. Oh, 64? Yeah, eight, eight uh, minute plays is 64. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you. you I was like, it seems slow. So at least I know something about yeah. Well, I was just trying to see if you guys. I was trying to see if you guys were paying attention or not. I can't do the math with the steeple. It's too difficult with those uh, barriers. It's not exactly 400 meters. I mean, I, and I didn't even know if well, you were using an inside or outside water jump there, Evan. So uh, I, oh, no, I think no. I asked the wrong question. We go by we go by we go by 400 meters, not by laps. Oh. So, okay. Jerry, Jerry always steps off like 400, like not steps off, but you take like the difference between the 3K start line and the steeple start line, and then you walk it off and you just take however much per lap and you add that to each, each lap you do in the steeple. So I'm always doing 400. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm always doing 400 meter laps in my steeple workouts. Okay. It's funny you because you were talking about pacing and stuff, and while you're talking about your workout, you know, I, I don't really try to run or I mean I run, but I don't work out anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> a lot of people care yeah. about the specifics of his workouts. It doesn't really apply to them. And then you kind of said 67. Yeah. I'm like, it seems kind of slow actually. But I didn't know what the, what yeah. the pace was. Yeah. But my question wasn't too far off. Yeah. I'm like, hey, what's eight minute pace? Like I just want to know in reference. To yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, eight minute pace is 64. Yeah, so speaking of, you know, eight-minute pace, um, and you were talking about not celebrating to the final barrier. I mean, you had that race in Paris two years <laughs> ago. Uh, I can talk to you an hour about that race itself. One, do you ever rewatch yeah. it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because okay. I, I really want to get depressed. I, I watched that race. Oh, I think it's so inspiring. I mean, it was IWF moment of the year, right? A race of the year, or what was it? Yeah. What did it end up getting? Uh, yeah, I think moment of the year. Yeah. With the the call yeah. by uh, was that Stuart Story, John? Um, I think it was Tim Hutchings. You, Tim Hutchings, and they're yelling at you to get up. <laughs> I we're talking about how you know what you guys do. You want to inspire people, and um, so for that race, for me actually, it was July Fourth, right? And I was at yeah. like uh, um, Glacier National Park. They don't really have internet, so I drive out of the park. I'm trying to find internet. I, now it's kind of cloudy. What happened? I sent. I was watching on my phone or my computer off a of Wi-Fi at a restaurant that was closed. It cut out. I don't remember if I actually saw you fall. So afterwards, like my brother was texting me updates, and then I seen it afterwards. But it really was inspiring. Um, but because also something like that sort of at the time was very shocking. Like that race, I would say. Yeah. Chris Selinski's twenty six fifty nine, um, Jenny Simpson's three fifty nine in college. Sort of, you know, they were obviously in the wheelhouse of possibilities because they happened. But at the time, they seemed, and you were just taking it to them. Um, but how important yeah. is it now to sort of get under that eight minute barrier and? You've progressed a lot in the last two years. So do you think of yourself as a much better runner than you were then? Or sort of, I noticed talking to you, you seem much more comfortable sort of with how you approach worlds and sort of these fields mm -hmm. and sort of how you take on on it. So would you say it's more just a mental progression or, you know, where are you now versus 2015? Yeah. I mean, definitely, like you said, I, I'm just so much more confident and, um, in a better place 
mentally as an athlete going into those, those big moments. Um, 2015 was, that was a huge year for me. Uh, obviously like just a major breakthrough. Um, the 1500 was really fast and then, um, uh, winning another U S title and then going to Paris and running that Paris race was, uh, yeah, th- that was a pretty incredible, uh, few weeks for me. And, uh, I think the like the biggest thing that I gained from that was just kind of taking myself to a new level of athlete and just doing things, doing everything the right way and just taking another step in like kind of my dedication level to the sport. And, uh, I've, I've tried to do that each year since then. And, um, I, I guess in 2015, I just didn't, I didn't have, the the mental game fully locked down at that point but physically um that was maybe the best shape that i've ever been in um uh to be to be seen if i'm if i'm there yet this year but um yeah just took myself to a completely new different level of fitness and uh i learned a lot from um mainly from the beijing world champs and uh and kind of that I think that really showed in in Rio last year and and I definitely I had a lot of help figuring things out um with with uh coaches and teammates um kind of the year between Beijing and Rio and um I have a lot of gratitude to the people that helped me kind of wrap my head around where I needed to be. But, um, yeah, kind of taking, taking little bits and pieces from, from both of those years and, uh, just trying to keep taking steps forward in the right direction. Do you work with any sports psychologists or is this just all with your coaches and fellow athletes? Uh, no, th- yeah, just, um, just all with, with, coaches and and teammates um not not everyone just like a couple a couple of the guys on the team um i've I've talked to about um kind of that that next level um just kind of bouncing ideas off of a couple of guys and uh dan has obviously been very helpful to me uh he's he's been a steepler for such a long time and he knows the sport and um uh, he, he's helped me a ton. And then I, I also talked with, uh, CD Chris, Chris Derrick a lot about kind of, kind of like just, I, I think coming around to not being so mad about <laughs> Beijing and, um, kind of bouncing some ideas off of him on like how I can kind of change things. And, um, and then, but I think uh, Pascal was by far the the biggest help for my mental state going into Rio last year. I, I think I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before, but um, he just kind of like obviously after Beijing, I I felt like I should have meddled and I messed up, and the reason that I didn't medal was was 
because of something that I did. And uh, I took that to heart going into Rio and I really, really, really wanted to medal. And so I was thinking about it every single day, uh, training for the 2016 season uh, just kind of consumed me. And I, I thought that wanting, wanting a medal more than anyone else was going to bring me a medal. And I kind of trained that way with, with that mentality, just trying to do every single little thing right. And um, just being very focused on it and got to the latter part of the season um, kind of coming out of the trials last year and Pascal sat me down and he's, he said to me, he's like, Hey, I, I see how bad you want this medal. Like I know Beijing really hurt you last year, but I, I want you to, to stop thinking about meddling. Um, and this was probably two weeks, two weeks out from, from Rio. And he's like, um, he, he's like, the, the more you think about something and obsess about something, it's just going to drain your energy and you might not be doing things the right way in order to actually get you that medal. And I think the, the best way to go about meddling is to stop thinking about the medal and start thinking about doing, start thinking about what you need to do in order to get yourself the medal. So think about like being relaxed going in into the final. You can't carry too much stress or can't worry about it too much. Um, just think about being in good position with a lap to go. And if you're in the best position with a lap to go, then you're obviously going to give your best yourself the best chance of meddling. So um, it was, it was about two weeks out from, from the Rio final where I kind of told myself to stop caring about meddling and um, just know that I had done everything right throughout the course of the year. I was really fit. And as long as I did everything in the race for the first six and a half laps correctly, I was going to give myself a really good chance of meddling. And if, if I had it that last lap and, and um, I was able to finish top three, that would be awesome. But if you give it everything you can and, um, and you get beat, then there's, there's no shame in that. And um, you just have to be okay with not getting a medal. And that's kind of where I was at mentally at that time. And um, I just completely stopped thinking about meddling and, um, just tried to stay calm and um, stay relaxed. And that was, that was my mindset going into the race. It worked out well. And I, I think for a lot of fans, they're very glad you got that medal. Um, we said <laughs> yeah. we won't keep you more than, more than 45 minutes. We're already at that mark. But, um, so okay. I don't know. People had a bunch of lifestyle questions. I'll throw a couple out there. Pick which one you want. One, how's married life? Or two, sort of, uh, what's it like to go to Monaco? You know, is it fun? Are you getting both you want? You know, is it, or is it just more work? Um, you know, yeah. behind the scenes of the dynamic meet, is that exciting? Or is it sort of the same as going to a Stanford or something? Um, yeah. It, well, married, married life is great. Uh, there's 
somehow just like moving, buying a house and getting married, it's just, you just feel like there's so much more stuff to do, especially with the house. Um, I constantly feel like I come home and I have something that I should be doing as opposed to just like coming back to an apartment and just being totally fine with just sitting on the couch for three hours until my next training session. Um, yeah, I'd say being, being a homeowner is, is way harder than being married. Um, being married has, has been great. Um, I love my wife and, um, she's super easy and fun to get all, to be with and get along with. And, um, yeah, it's been great. Um, as far as Monaco goes, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit different than, uh, than Stanford. Um, Monaco, sorry. I'm just chuckling there. Oh, uh, yeah, Monaco, like, you're being put up in a really nice hotel right on the Mediterranean Sea, um, and, like, all the meals are paid for, and transportation is taken care of, and um, whereas, like, at Peyton Jordan, you're kind of in charge of taking care of yourself, um, getting a ride from the airport, renting a car, finding a hotel, getting to the track. Um, yeah, it's just, you're just way more pampered at the Diamond League meetings. And um, some of it's a little much, but it's also awesome at the same time. Because, uh, I mean, this is, you're at the high, like, for this time of the year, you're at the highest level of the sport. And it's just really fun competing at the highest level. Yeah, last year you didn't run any steeples between USA's and Worlds. This year you're doing it. Did you just did it factor in easier because you're already in Europe, you're going to stay in Europe, or why that decision? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of it. Um, last year with Rio being on the same side of, like, basically in the same time zone as um, the U.S. and where we had already been staying, it was just, kind of it seems like more of a hassle to um to go from usa's to fly to europe race fly back to the usa's to do olympic team processing and then fly back down to rio for the race um it just would have added a lot of travel and it's just kind of hard on the body and you just want to do everything you can especially with it being an olympic year to really get the best out of yourself you out of yourself at the olympics um here this year is a little bit different uh with worlds in london um we came over to st moritz to continue our altitude training and from here it's it's just really easy travel to monaco and then from monaco to london is super easy travel so uh, logistically, it just makes more sense. Yeah, well, it should be exciting. I know we're excited to see it. Um, and we thank you for taking the time to, uh, you know, talk to us. Hopefully now that you're an Olympic silver medalist, you get a big appearance fee or something, you know, something to develop <laughs> once in Monaco. But uh, Yeah, yeah, I'll take it to the casino. Yeah, <laughs> actually... Um, there's a little, little known story about poker in com. You can ask us that next time, but, uh, okay. we'll do g- good, good luck this weekend. Um, or this Friday, um, if you celebrate before the final barrier, we know, we'll know it's a real good one. 
<laughs> yeah, I probably I I probably won't, but um, yeah, we'll see. Thanks, guys. Okay. Well, thank you, Evan. All right. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much, Evan. Yeah. All right. For, Thanks for having Jonathan me. Jonathan Gold. Yeah, we appreciate it. For Jonathan Gold, this is uh, Logan well, Johnson. Well, then, well then before you, before you sign oh, off. Oh, maybe well, not. Um, Robert is oh. texting us. He has informed me that Evan is 8-1 to one to win gold in London, and he wants us to place a bet for him when we're over there. So I, I think those are pretty good odds, actually. I wonder if they'll still be that, that yeah, high. No, I saw that on the chat box, them. too. Oh, Evan, if you're still there, I don't but, probably leave yeah, now to talk yeah, about here. betting with you, but those are great odds, my God. Um, yeah, I, I the only other running bet I made money, money on was uh, Paul Radcliffe before the first marathon. I was like, this is a mm-hmm. gold mine, and everyone thought she was the lucky loser at the time. Um, but the steeple, you know, that final barrier, you better get over it. Better get over it, Evan. We don't want to put bad thoughts in your head. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. The, the the other bet we did was this is at the 2000 or 2004 Olympic trials. Uh, must have been 2004, I think. No, 2000. Michael Johnson was racing Maurice Green at 200 meters. Um, and Maurice Green, you know, fastest guy at 100. Everyone thought he would be – the casual fan thought he might beat uh, – Michael Johnson and track people are like, there's no way Michael Johnson's just going to blow him out of the water. So you could go to Tahoe. There was like off days, the trial. So people drove to Tahoe. They were taking bets on the trials in the casinos. And like, I don't know, I had no money. And Robert and I pulled together like a hundred bucks and we're like, all right, we're putting it all on Michael Johnson. And um, so I think what happened was like right at the start, Michael Johnson pulls up injured. And you're like, oh, oh my, my God. God, this is it. This is terrible. We're just kind of sitting there, and they're coming down the way. And then Maurice Green pulls up injured with like four meters to go. It's this no way. Off. We'll look it up. So he's like, now Maurice Green's hobbling on the track. And the bet was really specific. It was only who won between them, and they had to both cross. And the person had to cross the finish line. We we're like, please disqualify him. Please, you know, some official, go grab him. You know, we we're like, please go grab him. <laughs> They're like, if he hobbles across in like 35 seconds, this is going to be disastrous. Uh, but he like sat down and didn't finish. So the bet wasn't. Oh my board. gosh. We, we got to oh. back. Um, so careful kids out there. The reason betting's illegal in the United States, but uh, it's legal in London. So we'll be doing it on the side. That's how we're going to float this operation. Um, well, thank you again for your time. Appreciate it. Good luck yeah. on Friday. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. And John, thank you as well. Uh, yeah, no, all pleasure. And uh, we'll we'll let you go, Evan. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, you know, keep coming to the sites. We, we'll have our preview up uh, later this week. Yeah, Evan's back on the site. So everyone else listening, keep coming back, refreshing the pages, that sort of thing. <laughs> all right. Um, thanks everyone for joining us. Check back this week for more Monaco preview. We probably could have done more on the meet, but uh, this was the 100% Evan show. So thank you, everybody. Signing off, this is Weldon Johnson, Let'sRun.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.